Welcome to Pardes Daily, where you get your daily dose of Torah with Pardes faculty. This time, Pardes is bringing Pesach to you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Hatton in Israel, and today we will be discussing the beginning of the book of Exodus, which is the story of the oppression. The arc or the trajectory of our podcasts will take us through the beginning of the enslavement, the heroism of the midwives, the birth of Moshe, the onset of the plagues, and the preparations finally of the people of Israel for freedom, including their offering of the Paschal sacrifice. Our section begins with a series of names. Verse number one of chapter one of Exodus recounts, Ve'eleh shemot b'nei Yisrael haba'im mitzrayma, et Yaakov ishu veto ba'u. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each coming with his household. And Jacob's 12 sons are then enumerated. The entire household comprised a modest number of 70 individuals, as recounted in verse number five. But then the people of Israel begin to multiply. We should note, of course, that the beginning of Sefer Shmot, the beginning of our story, is linked cohesively to the end of Sefer Breshit, to the end of the book of Genesis. Remember that in the book of Genesis, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. After many adventures, Joseph rose through the ranks to become the viceroy over Egypt. That allowed him to win Pharaoh's approval for inviting his family to Egypt when the famine struck. When they arrived, they were given many privileges and they dwelt in the land of Goshen in great comfort. But the backlash that followed may have been slow in coming, but it was inevitable. It's important to remember the backdrop to the enslavement, namely the privileged status of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt. At the same time, our story is very much the story of individuals becoming a nation. Genesis was about the story of individuals, whether it was Abraham and Sarah, Abraham Sarah, whether it was Yaakov and Rachel and Leah, whether it was Yaakov's children, Joseph and his brothers. These were all stories about individuals. But those individuals eventually became families and those families clans and those clans tribes but it is only in the beginning of Exodus and the onset of the enslavement that these tribes are able to coalesce into a nation. This is very clearly indicated by the use of pronouns and verbs in the account. Verse number seven, which summarizes the great increase of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt, records, Uvnei Yisrael, Paru but the Israelites were fertile and prolific. 
they multiplied and they increased very greatly with each one of those verbs being stated in the plural such that the land was filled with them. Verse number eight indicates that a new king arises over Egypt who did not know Yosef. And in verse number nine, Vayomer el Amo, he said to his nation, Hine am b'nei Yisrael, rav ve'atzum mimenu. Behold, the nation of b'nei Yisrael, the Israelites, the sons of Yisrael, rav ve'atzum mimenu, are much too numerous for us. And in all the verses that follow, as well as in this one, the people of Israel are now indicated by the singular, the singular verb rather than the plural or the singular adjective rather than the plural one. Am b'nei Yisrael, rav ve'atzum, etc., etc. It is an axiom of nation building that individuals are forged into a people through a common experience, often of hardship and oppression. It is that common experience of hardship and oppression which creates a shared identity and a shared destiny. One might therefore say, notwithstanding the tremendous suffering experienced by the Israelites in Egypt, the, the enslavement had the profound effect of transforming them from individuals into a people. Pharaoh's program against the Israelites is implemented incrementally, one nefarious step at a time. It begins with the Israelites being pressed into forced labor in verse number 11. They set taskmasters over them, such that the Israelites built the, the store cities of Pitom and Ramses. It continues with a program of back-breaking labor as the Israelites work in the brick pits to fulfill their quota of bricks, as well as in the fields to do the hard work of harvest and of planting. And it culminates with state-sponsored murder as the male Israelite babies are killed. We note, of course, with great alarm, that all of this unfolds with no opposition, no organized protest, and no resistance. There are no Egyptians that oppose Pharaoh's program. There are no Israelites that respond by raising arms. The incremental nature of Pharaoh's program is the key. As it unfolds, one step at a time, people's guards are lowered. By the time they realize where the program has led, it is absolutely too late to resist. We might say, delegitimization leads to dehumanization. Where delegitimization in this context means 
to be denied the protection of the law, as the Israelites surely are. Singled out as foreigners, they are set to work, initially in a program that does not appear particularly ruthless or unjust, but eventually that will descend into something more brutal. That will be the dehumanization. And once the dehumanization has been accomplished, it is just a hop, skip, and a jump to unleashing a program of murder. This sorry situation will eventually be rectified through the efforts of courageous and dedicated individuals who will stand up and oppose Pharaoh's program. We will talk about some of them next time as we explore the heroic and courageous efforts of the midwives. Thank you. Thank you to our Pardes faculty and a big thanks to you, our learners. Make sure to check back in every day to stay on track with your learning and visit www.pardace.org.il for more information about other ways to learn with Pardace.